Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Today on the Focus on Why podcast, I am joined by Madeline Black. Madeline, a very warm welcome to you. Thanks, Amy. Lovely to be here with you too. So why don't you sort of kick us off with explaining what is it you're doing right now? I am working as a speaker and I am also a current, a new podcast host as well. Indeed you are, and very successful, doing great things, interviewing an amazing people, all with the theme of Unbroken. So tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, I just decided um, during lockdown, actually, that I wanted to share some stories of hope to motivate and inspire other people. So I'm really lucky. I've met incredible people along my own journey with some organizations I'm connected with. And I have access to great people. And they're just stories of people that have overcome adversity, but have all uh, bounced forward in life, not just back, and then making a difference for other people. So I just wanted to show people we can transform our pain into something positive and we can make a difference. And in your speaking work as well, what is it you're talking about? Yes, I share my own lived experience of being raped at a young age, at 13 I guess you could say that I'm a mission-based speaker. You know, I really think it's important if I am able to, and I am able to, to share my story because I know so many people are silent because of their shame and their fear and their guilt. So I really speak out to end the stigma around sexual violence, but to help other people find their voice so that they can start to heal and, and live their best life. And it's interesting that you're talking about being a mission-based speaker from personal experience but it hasn't taken you I'll rephrase that it's taken you a long time to get to that point of being able to articulate the story yeah it took me years (laughs) decades and decades to find my voice I was one of the people that I now speak to I was very silent I was shut down by my shame and you know had so many thoughts or imaginations what people would think if they knew what had happened to me so Yeah, it has taken me a long time to share my story publicly. And do you think that things have changed in society or is it still the same stigma that we have around the the sexual violence and and that shame? There is still a lot of shame because there's still so much victim blaming. There's there's a huge rape culture. I'm a patron for a few organisations and one of them is called Justice Is Now, based in England. And they look at breaking the rape myths and the rape culture used within the court system. So that's with the judges and the lawyers, because, you know, in Scotland, where I live, of all cases that make it to court, about four or five percent will only end in a prosecution. And we can't be naive to think that when a jury sit down, they don't already come in with these preconceived ideas, you know, like well, she was drinking and look what she was wearing. And we saw just a few years ago in Ireland, there was a female judge who told the complainant that um, you were wearing lacy thongs. What did you expect? I know without a doubt, thongs do not cause rape. Rapists cause rape, nothing else. So yeah, there's, uh, we have, things are getting easier. More people can speak up, but there's still a lot of work to do. 
Yeah, I mean that that those prosecution rates that's that's an insanely low number. Yeah. And, uh, and to go to court as well, I've worked for a long time before I was a therapist, uh, women's aid and rape crisis. You know, it's very re-traumatizing to go to court. It can really trigger you again. And we didn't put women off, but we would advise them that you may not get a prosecution. You know, you might not get what you consider is to be justice because so few end in prosecution. So few hardly ever make it to court to start with. And the ones that do, the prosecution rates are so low. And absolutely. So you're saying that obviously it takes a lot for someone to step up and, and go towards prosecution. And then again, the, you know, the, it's not a reward, but the, the result is, is so low that it's, it's like, what is the point? So what is the point in speaking up and getting the justice? And is that the part of the, the problem or is that the biggest problem of all of this? Oh, well, that's one part of the problem. We still have what society does to women if they come out and share their story, all the victim blaming, all the rape culture. Um, you know, it's no wonder women stay quiet because you see what other women, how they're persecuted by the press or on social media. And you think it's just easier to keep quiet. You know, they, they start to think, well, maybe it was my fault. If that's what they're saying about her, you know, maybe I did deserve it. Maybe this is what happened because of that. So, yeah, it's truly damaging. It's so damaging, all the victim blaming, and it really needs to end. So what is the activism that you are sort of sharing? What is, it, what is the voice or what is the mission that you're seeking to change? Well, I guess I never really intended to be an activist, but it just kind of happened when I shared my stories. You know, what really saddens me is I am very vocal on social media and I'll put posts up and I will get messages from people that say to me, I really want to like your posts, but I can't because somebody will then know that I've been raped or sexually abused. Or I really wanted to comment, but none of my family know what had happened to me. So there's still so much stigma and shame involved. And I was the same, but I know the shame never belonged to me. The shame always belongs to the perpetrators, but somehow we take this on board. It's such a intimate personal crime that I, I took it on board for years, but I know now it was inappropriate shame. It never belonged to me. It always belongs to the perpetrators. And it wasn't an easy sort of process for you to acknowledge that and go through that. Share, share with us what you had to go through to get to this point. Oh, <laughs> I have done a lot of therapy. And for anyone's listening, you know, I didn't get to this place overnight. It's not a quick, easy fix. It's um, it's not a sprint. It is a marathon. And yeah, impacted on me for years and years because I couldn't speak about it. I was also threatened very near to the end. They told me that if I spoke about it, they would find me and kill me. And they threatened by holding the knife against my throat. And one of them, without a doubt, I'm sure he was very capable. So the way it impacted on me, I had depression, eating disorders. I used drugs and alcohol to numb out, became really promiscuous. Uh, just, yeah, I was just off the wall, uh, you know, because it's got to come out somehow because I couldn't use my voice. It, it came out in other ways, my way of numbing out and suppressing it and avoiding it till eventually, you know, the, cutting a very long story short, I really realised I had to face everything that was done to me. My memories returned when my eldest daughter became the same age that I was. Yeah. And the, the ability now to use your voice and also to be heard what does that now allow you to do? You know what? 
every time I speak, there's no more shame at all. You know, I realise it's nothing to do with me. It was just wrong place, wrong time. I was a naive 13-year-old girl who um, trusted two men to take us back to my friend's flat. That's that's the only thing that went wrong. But it's it allows me to speak for the voiceless, for those that can't find their voice yet. And when they find their voice, they then help other people find their voice. And it is this massive ripple effect and we saw, you know, with the hashtag Me Too, um, when one person speaks up, it encourages other people to find their voice. And it went pretty much nearly to every country around the world. It was retweeted billions of times. So, yeah, there's safety in numbers and we are definitely stronger together. So what is it you're doing in terms of you, you've written your book, you're bringing people to the fore on your podcast. What is what is the sort of end game for you? I never know. <laughs> I never really have any plans. I just go with the flow. And, uh, you know, if you told me one day I'd speak or write a book or do TEDx's, whatever, I, I wouldn't, I would have just laughed. <laughs> never have believed it. I never thought I'd be a podcast host either. Um, yeah, I just go with the flow and the ideas seem to come to me. And, but I realise now my voice is my power. And it's almost as if I have a duty that if I can use it for people to help shatter their silence, then that's really maybe my purpose now. I can find the good out of something that was so horrible that maybe this is what I'm meant to do. This is my mission. And you call yourself the courage cultivator. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, at the start of lockdown, I was doing a course with someone, a Canadian guy, Steve Lowell, a speaking course online. And he said, you know, kind of look at what you do and the idea just came to me because I know that courage is contagious because it was hearing somebody else speak that really made me think if she could do that, then I could share my story. So I just think when we listen to someone who's standing there with no shame and can give you some hope that, you know, you'll be OK if you share your story, you'll be all right. You know, um, nothing awful will happen to you. I think courage really is contagious. So I'm just want to help people find their courage because it does it takes a lot of courage to say the words out loud even to I mean I don't suggest everybody stands on a stage and shares their story publicly but just to end your own silence by sharing it with a therapist or with a friend someone that you trust to be believed to be heard to be listened to there's nothing more powerful than that and I think when we don't speak out we really really hold ourselves back from being you know the the biggest life that we can have by being the most authentic person we can possibly be so yeah I just really want to help people find their courage and it's interesting you said that the voice is your power what was your power before numbing down <laughs> being quiet being silent uh, sabotaging myself uh doing trauma uh, I've put all that behind me. I will not go to those places anymore. But yeah, I had no self-awareness. I was so caught by the trauma that it just really ran my life. You know, the fear was my best friend until I, I decided to challenge my fear. Waking up to fear being my imagination was a massive step in my recovery. Um, that really helped. But yeah, I, I, was, I was a mess before. <laughs> I really was. And before being podcaster and, and a, an author and a, and a speaker what was your profession I worked as a psychotherapist for many years before I trained as a therapist I was a woman's aid worker 
and I worked as a volunteer for Rape Crisis. And I just was really going to do some training just to become a better support worker. And then I fell in love with counselling. So five years later, I became a psychotherapist. But when I first shared my story publicly with the Forgiveness Project about six years ago now, I was invited to speak more and more. And it was actually um, December time, about 2018, I think, 2019, actually. And I said to myself, you know, I can't do both. I can't be a therapist and a speaker because I was speaking a lot then. And I said, if I'm meant to be a speaker, then I'd love a sign. I'd love to work internationally. And I thought, well, that's never going to happen. But I literally woke up on January the 1st at 20. 19. I did get my dates wrong there. And with this 2021, it's all confused me. 2019, and I was invited to speak in Johannesburg at the PSA conference there. And I thought, okay, that's quite a good sign. And then on the 5th of January, I was invited by UNICEF to speak at a conference in the Maldives. And I thought, okay, life, this is a sign that I need. And so I worked with the clients that I had left and we completed our therapy. And I've worked as a speaker ever since. That was obviously about a year before COVID came along, then COVID very kindly emptied my diary, along with most people in the speaking profession or in the events world. But I do do some work online. I have been doing, you know, virtual talks, which has been good as well. And it's interesting that your work as a psychotherapist working one-to-one and now essentially with your speaking and your podcasting, you're working one-to-many. So your, yes. your, your, your voice is being heard by many more people. And it's as if you jumped into my head, that's exactly what I thought to myself. I can do, I, I love being a therapist. I love watching people transition from when they came in to when they left. It was so changed. It was brilliant, but it was just one-to-one. And when I, you know, spoke to 2,000 people once, my biggest audience, um, yeah, it, it, it's one-to-many, absolutely. And it's, I mean, it, it's, it's such a, a big topic, the sexual violence, and it's not just women who are affected in this space exactly. either, is it? No men as well. And over in the Twitter world, there's a lot of um, support with hashtag me too and men too. And I've met incredible men. In fact, I've interviewed two men that work with the Offside Football Trust because there's a lot of abuse uh, from a coach in the football, not just a coach, coaches in the football profession. So within the sports as well, I've spoken at a conference with an amazing guy, Callum Hancock, who's the first boxer to speak out about the violence that he'd experienced as well as a young boy just 10. He was raped by a coach. So, yeah, it happens to men and women too. Absolutely. And you talk about shame, fear and guilt. Yet what I hear in a lot of what you share and it again now is, is compassion and beauty. How does that work? Yeah, I think I have to really um, find compassion for myself really to start with. And then if I can find compassion for myself... Um, somehow I found compassion for the two men that raped me at 13 as well, which I, that completely took me by surprise. But yeah, you know, if, if I held on to all the anger and the rage and the revenge that I felt for years, it was only harming me. It was only when I softened my heart and I opened those doors inside and felt compassion for my younger self, for these two men, it, it changed my life. It really did. I was just so pumped up and angry all the time and and this way it kind of came about through the choice of forgiveness life is a lot more peaceful this way absolutely and I think if we can have more compassion especially now in COVID times and understanding we're going to be better human beings really aren't we we can be a better a better world if we're kinder to our fellow humans it will change humanity you said fear was your best friend 
Yeah. Was that a protective, instinctive response, or was that something that you clung on to as as to serve you? I think a lot of it came from the trauma. You know, trauma is very weird. I, I've sat in both the therapist and the client seat many times, so I have a good understanding professionally and personally. But the trauma is a real physiological response, you know, and at 13, you, you can't decide how you're going to respond. So your body takes over and the trauma is really caught in ourselves. And it's a little bit trying to close the door once the horse is bolted. The, the, the thing has already happened, but then we go into the impact of what happened and we can carry that for years. So, yeah, for years, I just felt terrified. But the worst had already happened, so it didn't really make sense. I guess part of my PTSD, which I lived with undiagnosed for years, was around security, my safety. Was I safe? Could Who could I trust? Because my whole world was so different. I couldn't trust the world anymore. It had shifted just so dramatically. You know, everything was, was a possible threat to me. So, yeah, fear... I didn't mean that that we got on well, but fear just overshadowed everything. You know, I just held fear's hand with everything that I did. I could see danger and threats in every situation. And you mentioned that in the Twitter world, you, you can connect with a lot of people. Is it is there something about that, that space, that social media platform that is more appealing to people in, the, in sort of this, this area than others? I think it's really about um, the hashtag Me Too. You know, I've connected to people I would never have met in real life. Actually, I've met Rose McGowan now twice in real life, but we've connected with her, Rosanna Arquette, all the big Hollywood names all support me in the work that I do because at the end of the day, we're all women that have experienced sexual violence of some description. And there's um, there's a sisterhood, you know, and, and a brotherhood as well with my fellow brother survivors. And we just really support each other. And we are stronger together. And our voices are rising and we will be heard. It's not just a moment. It is a movement. It was resurfaced again. It was brought out about 10 years ago by Tarana Burke. But it has resurfaced again. And it, it is a movement. And it will be here to stay. I'm just thinking about the, the what you mentioned earlier about that you couldn't use your voice and that you are now using your voice. It's your power and you're speaking for the voiceless and that you are very mission based and passionate about this. I want to go back to the, the preconceptions that people have and and why that's the case. What is it around the whole sexual violence that we have? We people have the, the these preconceived ideas well it's in everything you don't know it's in music it's in advertising it's in films it's in culture it's in attitudes it's passed down from generation it's it's just ingrained you know um and that's we really need to shift the culture but i hope that more of us speak out um and we can dispel these myths because they are myths that we can really change that and where do you start with that madeleine I think from a young, young age, we need to teach kids about consent, respect, healthy relationships, what's um, helpful, what's not helpful, just so that they really understand, especially with consent, what no means uh, for, for boys and girls. You know, it, it needs to be both sides. Yeah, I mean, that, that's it's such a big topic and it's such a small word. And yet, you know, it means so many different things and having those boundaries in place. it. It is starting at young age and it is understanding, as you say, you know, having those healthy relationships, but sort of modeling them. 
Yeah. What are the models that you see around this on TV, on on social media? Anyone that stands up for it. I mean, we saw there was a president in America who said it's okay to grab him by the pussy. It's never okay to grab anyone by the pussy. You know, even just basic locker room chats. You know, if you joke about it, then you're a part of the problem as well. And I will challenge anything that I see on social media now. You know, if somebody thinks that's funny and it's really inappropriate, I will challenge them. And what the beauty of social media is, there are so many supporters that they will also support me in the challenging of it. Um, yeah, I would just challenge anything that I feel is inappropriate, that degrades women, that puts us down. We should be equal. We're still fighting for equal pay, equal rights. You know, gender-based violence is just part of women's rights as well. But violence against women is violence against all of us. You know, we bring men into the world. <laughs> they can't do that. It's violence against all of us. And I find it hard why this sort of equity is not acknowledged. And I'm sure you'll agree. It, I, I was talking with Joe Lockwood earlier about the diversity and inclusion and that sense of belonging and understanding, you know, how divisive we, we, we're living in a divisive world. We're, we're led to believe that it's an either or situation. They have that binary. You need to make a choice in things. And it, it's not the case. You know, there's so there's so many ways that we can express our, yeah. our love. But it does come down to, to to loving ourselves first. Do you feel that a lot of the, the situation with sexual violence is a lack of love? For myself, it was a lack of love. Yeah, oh God, yeah, I hated myself for years. I despised myself. I just thought I'd brought this on myself. Even at 13 in the late 1970s, I was buying into all the messages that were around. I thought, well, you know, I've lied to my parents, I bought alcohol, I went back to an empty flat for two boys, you know, I just thought I'd, you know, walked myself into the situation. So my guilt was already there, compounded by the guilt that's out in society. Yeah, I I just thought I was this worthless person that, and I could never understand what I'd done wrong in this life to deserve that. It felt like a punishment. So I was even going back into my past lives and I thought, well, maybe I was a really horrible person in another life and this was my comeuppance this is life now paying me back for what had happened then but no I, I never ever ever deserve that to happen to me nobody ever deserves that nobody ever asks for it nobody ever invites it in ever and you mentioned that it was when your daughter was at the same age that things started to change for you explain yeah. what happened there yeah you know um we can really convince ourselves of anything. I thought I had done a great job. I very nearly didn't become a mum. But I, as you know, I have three gorgeous girls. And I used to call that my best revenge, that I was going to get pregnant, be a mum, live my life as best as I can, refusing to be identified. But therapy is a little bit like an onion. You know, we've got this really tough exterior layer, which is the hardest one. And we work that. And then there's another layer underneath. And then I was OK for a few years. And then there's another layer. And when I was studying psychotherapy, I thought, oh, I'm healed, you know, I'm fine, everything's, I've got it all sussed, I'm really good. Yeah, it didn't take long for the cracks to appear. So I, it was a combination of a few things. I was doing loads of personal development. I was studying psychotherapy and Anna became 13. So all the memories returned and they're always going to return. Looking back now, I, I just thought I was bonkers, to be honest. I thought I was going mad. I thought if it really was that bad, I would remember it. Now I understand, you know, our mind has this, um, ability to shut trauma off and it comes back when we're ready to face it whether we believe that or not I didn't believe it 
I went to therapy and I asked my therapist to take the pictures away because it was like a porn film, but I was the star of this film. And I got lots of memories back in my dream state and every night would be another memory, another picture, another image, which were just making me ill. But it took me a long time to realize he couldn't take the pictures away. You know, they had come back for a reason, but I was caught in denial to start with. And I didn't want to accept what had happened because it felt like this was a reflection of me, you know, that if people knew this, they would be disgusted like I was disgusted. They would look at me differently. But after a while, I saw the memories weren't really disturbing my mind. It was my refusal to accept it. My denial was actually really causing me to go crazy. So I had to get to a place where I realized I am okay. You know, they didn't kill me. I am still here. But I had to accept all that was done to me, really, to get peace with it. Because the more you resist against something, the harder it can come back in. And every time I denied these memories, they just came in faster and harder. So yeah, that that was a tough time in my life. That really was. Yeah. And for, for people who are listening who who may not reach out or may not speak up or or may not be able to be in that space, what would you recommend they do? I think you stop denying your story to yourself because for years I minimized it and I denied it and I pushed it down and I avoided it and I distracted myself. You know, we, we come up with these clever strategies, whether they're conscious or not, anything. You know, I just kept it at arm's reach just to avoid it and convince myself I was fine. Like I was a swan, you know, I was in control up above, perfect mother, perfect homemaker, perfect wife. But underneath I'm paddling like crazy just to keep up with all this all these masks that I was wearing. Yeah, and if you stop denying it, find someone, if you can, um, to share your story. Be very careful who you find. Make sure it's someone that you trust. And if you can't find someone, tell yourself your story. Write your story down. Find a way to release it because it just occupied so much space inside of me. It really did. It was as if I'd put myself in the deep freeze. And once I started to do final chunk of work which was all those years ago it was like I started to defrost and then more of me showed up more of me from before that happened and then even more of me that came in back to life again so it's it's not an easy journey I won't lie but it's it's one that's so worthwhile absolutely you will never ever regret healing from trauma never and it's possible it's really possible and you mentioned find someone who you trust who is your person Oh, I've been to so many people, I can't remember where I first spoke about it. It took me a while to find someone, actually, when I first decided that I wanted to become a mum. I went to people, I'd look in their eyes and think, I can't tell you. It was just the gut instinct. I just thought, no, or I'd speak to them and i think, oh, you're worse than I am. I need help. And eventually I, I found a beautiful woman called Vera who did um, hypnosis and psychotherapy. So she would take me back using hypnosis Many years later, I, I started to question that when the memories returned and I thought, oh, maybe she planted something in there. Maybe they were false memories, but, but they weren't. They weren't false memories. Um, but yeah, she was one of the first people that I worked with and she was brilliant. She really was. And you sense people. I, I, you, you get people. Very, I can see, I can see that that you 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 have a, a gift of being able to see this, the, the beauty within people, within all people. When you're interviewing people on your podcast, what is the, the motive? What is, what is it that you, you sort of sense that you want to share with everybody? 
well, I think it's just our strength, isn't it? That spirit in humanity that actually you can go through some awful, awful times, but you can come out and you can thrive and you can live your life. It's just amazing. Um, I'm always amazed by people and what they're capable of, how we can just transform all of that pain into something positive. You know, people will say to me, oh, I don't think I could ever have got over what you've got over. I could, of course you can. We all can make a choice. It comes down to a simple choice. I had to work the trauma out of my body. I, you know, there was without a doubt, I had to go to therapy and I worked my body very physically as well because I'd left my body. But I got to a crossroads when I saw I could fall back into trauma or I could I could change this now. I don't need to go back into that old narrative. That story's finished. It's done. I want to live my life. I'm not going to let it affect me. And that's really what's in all of my guests, I guess, that I speak to. They're all thrivers. They're all just brilliant. <laughs> And it's it's funny that you you discern a difference that they don't bounce back, they bounce forward. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I think thriving is. Uh absolutely. I mean, you know, it's not always a, a straight line healing, it's not a linear path. We can go back and forwards quite a few times, but ultimately they can always come back, center themselves, very clear on their goals, where they want to be, and they know they don't want to be affected by what has happened and they want to use it for the better for other people. And they're all. I guess they're all serving others, which I guess is what I feel like I do as well. It's my duty really to serve other people. So I guess I, I've attracted the people that are, you know, that are that are similar to me, I suppose. And the term unbroken, why, why unbroken? Well, it's actually quite funny because I didn't call my book Unbroken to start with. It was called 44 Bows. And I know you've read it, but people that don't know, it was kind of counting that saved my life on that day. There was a wallpaper border made out of little pink and grey bows. It was the thing in the 70s. And I just counted them over and over. And there were 44 bows. But my publishers were recently bought out just before I was published by Ponya. And they said, oh, nobody will get that. They won't understand. They wouldn't even pick it up off the shelf. And they came up with the name and I really didn't like it. I said, there's so many other books and films with that name. I said, but actually, it's quite, that can be quite helpful. You know, somebody might be searching for theirs and they find yours. But since I've, obviously, it's now four years since the book's been published nearly, so many people said, I love that word. <laughs> and it has really grown on me. And actually, I really like it too. So I use that as my opener for my own show. And I ask people, what does the word unbroken mean to you? And I love everybody's responses. They're all so different, but they all suggest that we might have felt broken, but we were never broken, you know. And I always say that the real essence of me, that goodness that we're all born with, they could never, ever destroy that. And my job has just been unveiling it, I guess, with all the many layers of trauma that covered it up. So, yeah, none of us really are broken beyond repair. None of us. And it's interesting that you you said it's 44 bows because I know 44 is is uh, your favorite number. I see it a lot. It does appear to me. And when I tell people that, then they start saying, oh, I went out for a cup of tea and my bill was £4.44. So other people start to see it as well. So, yeah, it is an interesting number that uh, really the counting saved me, absolutely distracted me from what was taking place. And uh, I, I just see it. I find it a very comforting number. It means that... Everything is lining up exactly as it's meant to be. And that's why you launched your podcast on the 11th of the 11th at 11.11. Which is exactly why and why my book came out on the 4th of the 4th. 
That's fantastic. So what more have we got to expect from you with the with 44 in mind? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I really, I really try not to plan anything, which is maybe not the best business model. So if you're a business listening to me, don't take my advice. But I just really I go with the flow and I just see where life takes me. And so far, it's put me on this incredible journey, a journey I would never have dreamed of. You know, the people I've met, the shows I've been on, the newspaper and magazine articles, all of it. uh, You know, that would never have happened years ago. Never. It, it, it is just such an incredible journey and, and anyone who reads the book can't help but reach out to you and just just share the love and I know that when I finished the book I, I read it over Christmas you kindly sent me the book and I, I read it and there was so much emotion inside of me that I had to I felt I had to reach out and I've just given myself goosebumps just thinking about this about how I did see beauty and compassion in the book and yet it is harrowing yeah. But it was, you know, seeing that you've now seen it as almost a responsibility to share your your story, but share that you've found a way of healing and, yeah. and helping others. It, you know, I, I understand why. I, I, I again, it's, it's the how and the what that is difficult. But again, you know, you you've seen that you've grown through that and you, you've now been able to come to terms with it what is the strength that you talk about going forward that you can share with people yeah I'm not a superwoman I don't have a superpower you know that strength is inside of all of us I guess maybe it comes from self-acceptance self-love self-belief self-worth self-compassion really about stop being your worst enemy you know start rooting for yourself all the stuff that you tell other people you know, just tell yourself that stuff, you know, how we, for years I ran myself down and I was worthless and contaminated and dirty, you know, I would avoid touching people in case I thought I could give them whatever was contaging me if I was this virus, we're not, we're, we all have this strength inside of us, it's just about finding it and uh, we are all so much stronger than we think we are, absolutely. And what I'm hearing is you the I am enough message and Mm. people who haven't experienced trauma struggle from I am enough you know that's that ability to have self-worth and self-love and self-respect and self-esteem it is such a difficult one to conquer yeah it really is because again you know especially in the Instagram world all these photos are touched up and everyone looks gorgeous and beautiful and having this so-called fantastic life but actually I don't think it's all really true. <laughs> I think a lot of it is fake. And, you know, so I like the real honest posts where people say, actually, I'm having a shit day today. This happened, that happened. Yeah, life is everything, isn't it? It's the, it's the paradox. It's holding on to all the goodness at the same time as holding on to all the other stuff that takes place. And it's, it's being open to all of it, really. I was so shut down for years that uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to shut down anymore. No, and and it's very clear with all the the activists that you're doing, the activism that you're doing is is admirable, but also needed. It's a necessity. It's it's not something that you can just sit back and and watch. And I, I can understand how you know the silence is is not part of who you are at all now. No, no, I couldn't. Is that something to take over? I can't be quiet. You know, if there's a post I disagree with, I'm just in there, and it. It's interesting, I was just signed by a speaker bureau agency, um, international, in, inspirational speakers, I can't remember what they're called, 
And I always thought, well, maybe I should change the way that I speak to make it more motivational. And then it's more general for everyone. Which said, no, I want you to keep it exactly as you do it to speak out about sexual violence. And I'm really grateful that she recognised that there is a place for that, you know, in the market. We'll see where it all goes again. So anybody who's listening to this podcast today, Madeline, will want to get in touch with you. What's the best way to contact you? Yeah, I'm on all the social media platforms. But if you go to my website, madeleineblack.co.uk, you can find all the information there. Fantastic. Well, I'll make sure that they all go into the show notes. And there's also a TEDx there that they can then watch, surely. It is. And I'm, and I'm about to do another one less than two weeks' time. I've got TEDx number two coming up, which is going to be a bit weird because that one had an audience of 2,000 people. And I think this time I'll be speaking to the cameraman. So it's going to be very different. <laughs> but it's good. I'm excited to do another one. Fantastic. And by the time this comes out, it will be in the show notes because you will have done it. So let's yeah. let's make, put that one in Great. as well. Thank you. Again, thank you so much for coming onto the show and sharing what Unbroken means and, and what your, your gift is and how you are finding justice in the area of sexual violence. It's truly wonderful speaking with you. Thank you. How would you like to finish this episode? What words would you leave the audience? I would say to anyone that's listening right now, if anything that we've spoken about has resonated with you in any way, it's never too late to find your voice and get support. Go find someone and go speak to someone. End your silence so you can live your best life. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star Apple podcast review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram and Facebook and become a member of my inspiring, uplifting and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. I help people to focus on their why with clarity, uniting their passion with their purpose with a plan to create the life they truly desire. If you would like me to help you focus on your why, then please book a free 20-minute coaching call via candidly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the Friday Focus weekly newsletter via my website, amyrowlandson.com. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.